Hi, I'm Rem Burrows, and welcome to our Friday podcast, Leaders Leading Leaders. Hey, welcome to Leaders Leading Leaders podcast, where we discuss all things leadership through the Dream Health Head and Heart framework. It's a leadership framework where we know that where once being a partial leader was enough to ensure long-term success in organisations, now we believe that in this day and age, we need to focus on all elements that makes a whole leader. And that this first starts with self-leadership. Partial leaders are no longer going to take organisations or teams from a long-term perspective to success. And we do know that self-leadership is the first step then this can be transferred to the whole team and into your organisation. Here on um, Leaders Leading Leaders podcast, this is a space especially created to share with you tips and thoughts on different subjects such as business, leadership, setting goals, personal growth, love, happiness, inner power, awareness, health and so much more to help you find the right balance, focus and flow in your life and in your business. I'm Maureen Boris, the founding partner at Dream Coaching Consulting and I'm so excited today to be bringing to you to, um, today's guest, and that's Kiran Beatty, who is the current CEO of GB7s and who resides in Scotland. Kieran is going to share with us today his journey was started off as a professional rugby player in Scotland and then became the CEO over a number of years of GB7s in the UK. He'll be sharing his views on leadership on all the leadership lessons, pardon me, that he learned along the way. Kieran first achieved his dream of becoming a professional rugby player and he played professionally, um, and I'll get Kieran to explain all of this a lot more and do this a lot more justice, where he played and represented Scotland at sevens level competing at the Commonwealth Games. He unfortunately had a career-ending injury which led him down the path of uh, first rugby analytics, then into coaching, which eventually landed him into his current role. I do want to say a very warm welcome, Karen. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, thank, thank you for taking the time out to join us here. Thank you, thank you for what a lovely introduction. Well, I'm I'm really excited, um, and I think I was sharing with you sort of m- my thoughts on, even though I'm not a sports person by any stretch of the imagination. But when I first started my career many many decades ago, there was a Harvard University. Uh, research study that came out. It was called How to Become the Corporate Athlete. And because of my own sister's experience in being a four-time Olympian, and I had been 10 years older than her, when I read this, I went, oh, this is so exciting. I can do this. I can I can take that knowledge and put it into that corporate world so that I can create a career for myself and then help people and lead teams and help people develop and grow beyond that. But then you're the real you're the the real thing in terms of from a sporting athlete who's been able to go through and transform himself a number of occasions. I would really love to explore that a lot more with you today for our listeners. Brilliant. No, looking forward to actually going down that journey. Um, it's probably something we're saying to you just offline there. It's I love doing this because it's a bit of reflection, actually steers you back in the right direction as well at times. So looking forward to it. That's fantastic. Well, let's get started right at the beginning. I mean, we are called Dream Coaching and Consulting, and it all starts with a dream. And this is where people go, I think it's a little bit of a woo-woo, but unless you you have a dream, how do you know where you're going? So let's start by discussing your dream of becoming a professional rugby um, player. What How'd that all start for you? I think um, 
probably growing up where we, we grew up, it's uh, rugby hub um, in terms of living in the Scottish borders is a, is a rugby, small little towns, each one has a rugby club, you know, you probably, you'll be well versed to this living where you live as well. Um, it was just part of the culture. My mum was the physio at the club, my dad coached the weights at the club. I was there every Saturday on the touchline, ball boy, I was then playing in the morning, playing the next day. So just always had a ball in my hand. Um, had a, a really stable background with my, my mum and dad, very supportive. You know, I think I speak to a lot of young athletes just now and they've either, I think parents have a, a massive role in, in, how, in their journey. That can either be through adversely, so they want to prove their parents wrong or they've got a chip in their shoulder against their parents, which is sometimes a, a good driver or, um, in my, my case, such a supportive set of parents that um, I, I feel drove me in and gave me, um, they gave me opportunities, they, they, they encouraged, they didn't push, they, um, yeah, just very, very supportive. And I suppose you ask, when, when did the dream start? I think it was just, with that young ignorance, naivety, um, going, yeah, I'm going to play for Scotland. Yeah, I'll, I'll play for British Lions. I'll probably captain them. I'll probably, I'll go to World Cups. I'll do it. You know, you have that in you. I just, I think seeing my friends lose that, I never really lost that. Um, probably through a lack of maturity, <laughs> but it seemed to serve me well. Um, so growing up, I think the experience of my parents, where I, where I live, and some great coaching as well. Some really good coaches, um, friends, fantastic environment to grow up in. And just probably nurtured that, that drive. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you had the drive, you had supporting parents. And I do recall, and you can tell me if this is um, similar, I do recall with my sister, she started at the ripe old age of six training. But by the time she was about um, probably around 10 years old, there was some many, many, many hours of training where my my mum would pick her up or drop her off in the morning, then bring her back home, take her to school, pick her up from school, then drop her back off to training. What kind of sacrifices did you have to make to pursue your dream? Um, I, I thought a bit about this because I think I was different to my my friends. We were a really close group of friends and and I, I talk about my teammates as well. I probably was slightly different, and I've kind of asked myself, like, why? Why was that? Like, why? Why did I have that? Why did I stay out that extra bit longer? Why didn't I socialise on a Friday night if I knew I had a game on a Saturday? Why was I getting up on a Sunday morning at crack of dawn to go do kicking on a back pitch in the middle of winter with no one else? With no one else is about. I think. Probably the without being able to articulate it at that age, I think what it was was feeling like I had constraints. Um, and in order to achieve my dreams, I would have to work harder than everyone else. And I, I probably couldn't articulate that back then. It was probably just, I need to just work really hard. But it was definitely going. There were certain people um, around me who I thought were um, exceptional exception athlete exceptionally talented how do i close the gap on that how do i jump above that whereas it can be through bloody mindedness and hard work at times 
um, really purposeful practice as well, going learn and find out how do I get better. Um, so I think, and then that became habit. So at a very early age, you speak about that from the age of 11, your sister was doing that. It, if you If that's your routine at, at such a young age it just becomes habit and that's just what you do and actually to not do it makes you feel uncomfortable it's just you feel a bit if you not get if I get I don't get up at six in the morning I feel if I get up at half past six I feel lazy because I've slept in my body just doesn't feel right so you just it becomes a habit it becomes a routine um but I think that spark would have been based on feeling like there was constraints that I had to overcome and push harder harder to get past yeah, and it's interesting you should say that because we know that from a, at a subconscious level, we know that 96 to 98% of our behavior is based on habits. And we know that it's not a question of are you going to be a habitual by nature. Human beings are habitual by nature. We do the same thing over and over again. We don't even realize it. It's on autopilot. The question becomes, are you going to create the right habits or are you going to create the wrong habits? So you get to choose which habits and then eventually – you're an autopilot and as you said waking up 6 30 in the morning becomes like that's a little bit late for me now simply because of the habitual nature of our being and so when when you say it became a habit and you had you knew that you had to sort of work harder because there were great athletes who were sort of playing alongside you you had to make sacrifices how did you push yourself? How did you keep yourself going? What Did you have a team of people who supported you along the way? I mean, you mentioned your parents. Yeah, um, I, I think it was, I, I genuinely think it was like aspiring as well. So you're looking at, I watch Scotland play on the telly or mm. I go to Murrayfield and watch Scotland and just be overawed by it and, and almost go, you know, when I was away from it, I would be like, I'm going to do this. When I was close to it, I thought, this is so far away. These these guys are superhuman. So then the drive was when you're away from that going, actually, geez, like, I, I'm still on the path here to do this. I'm still, like, I might not get there, but I'm still on this path. So I would, I don't know why, but I've, and I say this to, to athletes now, it doesn't matter. It does matter, sorry. It's, it's about, for me, the night before. The night before. So we're talking about, we've got the Olympics next summer. Um, it's about us as a group, as an individual, the night before. We're handed out the jerseys. We're standing there ready to go. And we go, our intent over the last, however, our lifetime, our nine months, 12 months, four months, was absolutely spot on to get us in the best position for this moment. Now, sports fickle and so many variables, but... Has our, we can control our intent. Have we got our intent right? And I suppose that's why I wanted to, whether I made it or not, I wanted to be able to sleep at night going, my intent was spot on here. Like I, when people say they gave it everything, there's a wry smile in me at times because I go, did you? Did you really? Whereas I genuinely go, there's not a lot, like I, not consciously that I could have done that. Like in that moment, that's what I knew. Therefore, I made a decision based on trying to achieve my goal. Um, and I, where did that come from? Just aspiration, wanting to be seeing these idols, seeing these amazing things, want, feeling like you wanted to be part of it, growing up in the environment I did, um, feeling like I had a little, little constraint that 
if I did these things, it would be incredible. Um, and an internal story for me, not for anyone else, but something for me where I could go, look, you've, you've really achieved something in your life. So um, I think, but... Yeah, that's really good, actually. Who, who knows? Yeah, no, that's really good. And, you know, it's funny that you should say that. You say all the words. I mean, we haven't discussed this before, so but and we haven't had this conversation before. But a lot of our work right now, like the work that I do at Dream Coaching and Consulting, is all about you have to have a clearly defined goal, first of all. You have to know what you're after. You have to have that clear vision. You have to be dreaming. You have to have visualize what it is that you want, regardless to where you're at at the moment and whether or not you you think you can do it. And then you have to make a decision. You actually said that a couple of times now. You have to make a decision that you want it. And once you make that decision, everything else just follows through. The biggest challenge for people is that they think they want something, and but they don't clearly do it. It's not a committed decision that they make. Whereas it I, seems I, I, it sounds like you yeah. made a committed decision that this was it. Yeah, I, I think it's it becomes – we spoke a little bit about how does sport and – business crossover i think there's a simplicity to sport like your visions can be fairly clear like do i want to go to an olympics do i want to play for scotland like i almost the end goals fairly clear the vision is fairly clear the path to that is like you don't know like there's not a clear that's probably and i'm being i'm the ignorant one in the room here but in business i would assume you can see a ladder to go, like you would call it a ladder. With sport, it's far less sort of like this team's good at this this moment. My competition's here. This this team then dips, and then I need to go here, and it's it's a winding path. So the bit you can control in that is is the bit I just touched on. Is like what's my intent in every moment to go to that vision. So really simply, we've we've got. Olympics next summer. I I now go right. I'm wife opens a bottle of wine on a Friday night. There pours a glass. Now whether I have that glass of wine, so there's a physiological detriment to me having a glass of wine. Physiologically, that's not good for my body. The mm. psychological benefit of me having a glass of wine with my wife and we relax. Now that's a dis- I then make that I genuinely make that decision to go. Actually, this is good for me to have. 15 minutes with my wife just where we're chilled out because that's going to benefit me at the now which the knock-on effect is benefits me at the olympics and it's stuff like that so even with athletes do they there's a biscuit on the table do they put it in their mouth or not it's not whether they do it it's have they made is there a conscious thought a commitment to go this is about me getting to the olympics i'm really down actually this is going to make me feel a whole lot better versus i'm just bored that's it's a sim- very very simple, good point. simple things yeah, I just think it's it's just, it can be as simple as that if you've got that clear vision, every decision you make because you can only make a decision in the moment with the, the information you have. You don't have a crystal ball, so you don't know whether it's. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Ninety nine percent of me says picking up a cookie and eating it isn't really of benefit, but actually psychologically, for some people, that might be a huge, a huge benefit. Therefore, it gets them over that hurdle, which allows them to kick on at their vision. Uh, poor example, but hopefully you No, I get that completely. That. And, and when you say, I love what you said around you don't, you can set the goal, you can set your intent, and you can visualize, and you can make a committed decision. 
the pathway is not often clear, but even in organisations and in your, building your career, it's not clear. And one of the things that we teach, tell me if you can relate to this, is you make a committed decision. Make sure you're constantly very, very clear and laser-like focused on that vision and the goal. The plan can change. The, the goal doesn't change, but mm-hmm. the plan can change because we don't know what's in our control and what's not in our control and things can happen along the way that we never uh, even expected. Would that be the same for you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's sport. And, I mean, I think, it, again, probably with sport you have a timeline. So, again, we'll use the Olympics. 2024, July 27th is when we're going to be standing the night before. Then the evening of 27th July 2024, we need to be we need to be in the best shape we've ever been in. Tactically, technically, physically, mentally, holistically, be in the best shape we've ever been in. So there is a there is a timeline on sport, which does help that path in some respect, but that's also a constraint as well. So um but absolutely what that looks road looks like, yeah, you try and paint that out, but it's sports so so many variables. There's there's always two sides, two teams. There's a referee. There's we play with seven players on the pitch. Well, there's seven others, so they have a big say in it as well. So it's it's a fascinating dynamic, but um, I love it. I love well, it. that's amazing. <laughs> that is incredible. So, what role does as uh, what does role what role did the coach your coach have in your initial uh, sort of career? to keep you going to make it to the Commonwealth Games? Um, I mean, yeah, I probably had a couple. Um, I think locally there was there was a guy who was, again, probably a little bit different um, and had, and I mean by really focused on his coaching, really good at his coaching, quite articulate, which I felt it was like I could gain off of him, I could learn off of him. Um, mm. I then had a, an academy coach who um, seemed to invest in me. Um, I felt he went above and beyond with me. Um, I remember him driving out. I was 15 or 16 or something. Christmas Day, he drove over. After he'd got the, the Christmas dinner in the oven, he drove over to the, my local rugby club and we were out on the pitch for an hour and, and doing skills and stuff. And that, that's, that's my academy coach. Um, on Christmas Day, so that when you see somebody like that, I even in that moment I felt so much gratitude for what he was doing to repay that gratitude, and even for my parents for you know them driving me about the country all, for all my life to play rugby, like you have experienced with your sister, you almost you want to repay that. You want to repay that by going right. I, if I don't make it, it's not because I didn't try because they're they're putting something into me. So there's a bit of returning and um, feeling gratitude for what, and I bet your sister felt like that as well with you. You talk about going going places with your sister. She'll have wanted a big part of her drive will have been you because you've spent your time sitting on the touchline or sit, sitting there watching, and that's time she can see that and she's wanting to give back. Um, so there's a bit of gratitude there, definitely. And, and gratitude goes a long way because if not grateful for what you've got today, you can never be grateful for what you get tomorrow, and it kind of like just brings, uh, you know, success. Begets success, help begets success, and the only the only way through it is 
by gratitude, by actually appreciating everything that's around you. But I do recall, like for me, it was my mum, uh, my mum that did most of the driving around until I was 16, got my license. And because I was 10 years older than my sister, my mum just basically said, well, you've got the afternoon shift. After school, you pick her up, you drop her off, you, you bring her back home, that kind of thing. And it was a very interesting, it was re- to watch her sacrifice so much. I don't think I, I didn't do anything, but to watch her sacrifice so much was a huge learning for me. But also to watch her so committed to what she does and being so laser-like focused on things and doing the same things over and over and over and over and over again each day got a bit boring for even me. I'm going, come on, jump, like do do something exciting. But the excitement came at the Olympics or when she was competing, not so much at the training. And people yeah. don't realise that, do they? Yeah, there's a lot. There's so much that goes goes in the shadows, goes in behind before you see that. Um, as yeah. And then the word sacrifice is an interesting one, and I think it's how you interpret it. But I certainly made a conscious effort to call it a choice rather than a sacrifice. So mm. um, if I'm I'm going to choose to do this, so it just aligns to that intent thought is I'm going to cho- everything I've decided is a choice. So if I'm not socialising, it's a choice. Therefore, I have the power over that. So there's no point saying, oh, sacrifice, look what I've sacrificed. So like, no, I've chosen to do that because of this and then because of and it's a positive almost thought process around it is because i i know where i'm going and i want to get there yeah you're spot on you know that's I mean? really good yeah now that makes absolute sense because you want it to be from a, a positive connotation or a negative connotation and people most people put a definition of sacrifice as being quite negative that you have to miss out on something but it is a conscious choice so therefore it's a positive because if you didn't want to do it you didn't have to do it really it's completely up to you absolutely Absolutely, yeah, and it's just it's just personal terminology, but uh, that it's was very something powerful. Else. Yeah, just it's it's a choice, it's a choice um, because I'm choosing also where I want to go. So, um, but yeah, um, the people around you, you just there is a bit of that as well. But what you're seeing is them not sacrificing, choosing to come with you, so they're choosing to support you. So you've got your like these are people I love and care about. They're choosing, and even you're saying you didn't do a lot. Well, you feel like you didn't do a lot, but even giving up your time, it's still it's still something you're giving to your sister. It's time, it's effort. And again, she can repay that by going, right, she believes me, she, she loves me, I'm going to do what I can for her as well. So um, I think hopefully most people feel like that when, when they're in that situation. No, absolutely. And one of the things I noticed about she, my sister, and you can tell me about your coaches, she had a great coach. Um, one of the, her coaches, when when she did end up going into the diving stage, was um, with a gentleman by the name of Chava. And one of the things about him as a coach, he was so strong that you could almost see that he saw something in my sister that she didn't even see in herself yet. So he saw all her strengths. He saw things that he, he saw the blind spots that she didn't have, like that she had around her own strength and ability and he can see you could see him sort of coming in on those angles and bringing out the best in her that was that the same case for you or what was your experience with that yeah yeah i mean i think probably probably i I can only speak from my own journey and but certainly for for myself i didn't list you probably i probably fluctuated in terms of belief if i had to put my my life savings on you're going to achieve this dream or not there'll be times where i go right i'm 
I don't believe I will, but I but I believe I'm going to give everything to try and get there. How far can I go? That that never wavered. Do you know that like that sort of? I'm not wavering my attempt to get there. Whether I will get there wavered. If mm. that makes sense. And that yeah, that absolutely. coach, that coach, um, the coaches within me, again, it didn't feel like their belief wavered. They they were when I felt like. I'm still going to continue to give everything because I want to see how far I can go. But I, I mean, I just, this just doesn't feel like I'm going to get there. They felt what I got off them was, yeah, yeah, look, here's almost like a little roadmap without, without it being completely clear. Going, We're going to continue to do this. You're going to do that. And therefore you're going to get here. And it just set you back on that sort of, not on the path because I was still on it, but there was the belief path. It was like, oh yeah, right, okay, there is a way that I can do this. Um, um brilliant brilliant coaches the right people for me at the time and um again feeling like with their belief in me it was like well i have to i have to keep going then i, I have to give back to them i, I just yeah that's brilliant absolutely yeah. brilliant and that that got you to the commonwealth games correct yep and how's yep. that feeling yeah. it was amazing i think again sevens is a sport it's very specific to where, again, talk about my experience growing up, very specific to this region. So this is where Sevens was the birthplace of Sevens. Um, there's very much still part of the, the culture just now. Sevens is a big thing. I would sit on a touchline as a wee kid, going around all the Sevens tournaments and playing them, which was just amazing. <laughs> Even playing for my town was just like, amazing, I'm playing, I'm playing for Sevens. And I remember my mum actually... Um, probably one of my earliest experiences. My mum was a physio for um, Scotland students. Mm. And I was about 14, 15. I was about, I think I'm actually a bit older, about 15, 16. I, she brought me into camp. She asked the coaches, can I bring my son in? He's absolutely mad daft on rugby. They were like, yeah. So I came in, I watched, came into the team hotel. They gave me a, a t-shirt, which was 10 sizes too big for me. And I was just <laughs> like, oh my God. God, I've got like a Scotland thistle in my badge and my heart and just felt 10 feet tall, overawed by these players, went into Murrayfield to, on the bus with them to training. I, I joined in the warm-up and just thought this was amazing. So they were training on one pitch and there's back pitches at Murrayfield. You've got one pitch with the students training on and my mum's coaching that I've just spent the day with, with these guys. So I'm standing there watching this, like jaw hitting the floor. And then there's a pitch adjacent to it and the team starts training in the background and I actually my mum tells this tale where I was obviously standing watching them she's in the moment felt a little bit embarrassed because by the end of it I had my back to the student team and I was just engulfed by what was happening on this other pitch and it was the Scotland Sevens team amazing the pace this the skill the and I was just like yeah, like that was that was a, a big moment where, yes, I was I could see that live. I was I could almost touch it, and then two years later, that was me on that pitch, running about doing that, and um, it was just even that I, I still had that feeling as I'm jogging on the training pitch for the first time of going, this is madness. This is absolute madness, and a year later, two years later, I'm. I'm at the Commonwealth Games. I'm playing on a World Series, so um, it's amazing how quickly it all turned around. But 
definitely little experiences like that help kindle that flame and um, it was amazing I don't know where I started with that conversation but no um, I think you know what it's a very um, heartwarming conversation this one because it made me actually feel that young kid who's just in awe of everything that's happening around him it's almost like wow this is so surreal and then one and very very quickly after that you end up being one of those people what a dream what an incredible dream and then there you are playing for your country at the Commonwealth Games like how amazing would that be for a young for a young man at the time? It it was it was I was very young at the time, um, um, playing on the World Series, playing against your rivals. I remember the the first um, my first um, game on the World Series was against South Africa. We it was in Dubai, and I was I mean I was I was a wreck before the game, um, and I was standing in the tunnel, and. You stand in the tunnel, and then it was on Sky at the time, and the cameraman's giving it the right 10 seconds, five. So I'm standing there, steely focused. I'm only looking out at the pitch. The crowd's going wild, the uh, the noise. And I turn around, right next to me, bumping shoulder, is the South, my opposite number, the South African scrum half. He's by the name of Stefan Basson, who was I'd been watching for years, absolute idol. And I was just, I got fell back into that kid again. <laughs> I was about to run on the pitch and play against him. And he must have seen me looking at him. And he did the nicest thing. He put his hand on my shoulder and just said, good luck. Which, you know, you were about to go into battle together. And I was just, that experience was a big one for me because I thought, no matter what moment goes on, stay humble, stay um, stay in it. Um, and that was an incredible, incredible moment. And yeah, playing playing for Scotland, running about, scoring a few tries. And it's great. That is beautiful, actually, because that just teaches no matter how how big you are, but that staying humble piece is all about, you know, um, the mentoring piece because you, I think you've got a responsibility. As the, the, the better you become, the, the more successful you become, you need to be that mentor for all those young people who are coming through the ranks as well, don't you? It's a responsibility. Yeah, it's a lot we speak about in Great Britain just now. Is is what what actually are, are we trying to achieve here? There's there's an Olympic medal, <coughs> excuse me. Um, there's an Olympic medal, absolutely. But what does that medal do? It inspires the next generation. That's and that's actually it's not words for us. Yes, there's a selfishness to gain an Olympic medal. Let's not hide away from that. That's important for us because it re- it symbolises a lot of our journey, our our choices we've made. Mm. Through, through our life um, and how much we've put into this, absolutely. But more importantly, because that will fade, more importantly is what it will do. It will inspire the next generation. And that's a genuine, genuine belief in the, the whole group, not just words. So um, I love that, that. stuff like that is, is what it's all about. Yep, and, and and that's really inspirational. And that's what the responsibility is once you get to where you want to get to. So let me just ask you now this question because you you did this you had a great um, achievement in rugby it doesn't matter how long it was for but then you had an accident is that correct you had there was some kind of an injury yeah I mean it's something I I probably started when I was about fifteen if I'm honest mm. and that year of the Commonwealth Games <clears throat> excuse me I was uh, I mean for years and years this this was continuing this injury and probably at the, the peak of my playing was when it was at its worst. I was, it was in a pretty bad state. Um, and it got to the point where 
Um, I remember after um, this was after the Commonwealth Games, um, I I would go. I wouldn't be able to train. I wouldn't be able to really play from a local club if they needed. I would just go play a game. I loved it. I'd get those feelings again and get massively frustrated because I wasn't the person I used to be. Mm. Um, massively frustrated. But then one one time I remember I got back in the changing room, I sat down and I thought, I, I cannot stand up. I, I, like, I physically, I, I could not get up. Um, it, was, it was my pelvis, just um, I had issues in and around that. I didn't, I didn't ever want my teammates to know. I didn't. Um, I didn't want them to know, so I just sat there. I let them all get showered, changed. They were like, "You come in." I was like, "Oh, I'm just, I'm just sorting a few things out." And then I had to phone my dad to come into the changing room, pick me up, a grown man, and lift me into the car, like literally lift me like a baby into the car. And I just was like, "This is, this is madness at this stage," um, because I was frustrated at my performance. I wasn't, you know, I, and I was never now going to division. As, this, where I was trying to get to, that was gone because I just couldn't, I physically couldn't do it. Um, but I suppose, um, you know, that moment from professionalism and when, when that ended was, I, I had a couple of years where I was still professional. But I hadn't stepped on the pitch because of injury. Mm. Um, and the, the moment of, right, getting brought in to the office, this, they asked me to come in, coaches were there, and as I walked in, I was like, ah, this is this is big because it's a lot of coaches. So two physios, it's doctor, sat in arm, there's a chair in the middle. You know what was coming. I was like, yeah, I think <laughs> that's for me. Uh, and they just said, look, you again, and it was quite heartwarming to hear because of everything I've just said. It was like, look, you've done absolutely everything. Like, there's not one bit you could have done differently. However, it's confirmed. You continue down this path, you're going to end up in a wheelchair, or you just physic. You physically, it's a physical constraint. You cannot do this. It's not whether your ability or whatever, whether they meant it or not, or if they're softening blow. I certainly believed that at the time, and um, that was that. So you, but up until that moment of walking in, even though I, if I was being honest, I knew, but I couldn't let that vision drop I couldn't let because I was still on the path and then I walked out the room and I wasn't and it was um, it was bizarre it was a year's worth of I would say I, I mean I spoke to a sports psychologist about it it was they referred to it as like a, a very close bereavement because if you imagine as, as we've spoke about every decision from when I was tiny was about that that vision like every decision now, what am I making my decisions on? What's, Let's talk a little what? bit about that, actually. So there, there's, there is that devastation piece, okay, where you go, okay, the realisation that it's no longer, that goal that you had, that vision that you had is no longer going to be a reality in as a result of your injury. But then there's also the element of who am I, right, because you've built this person up to be based on the image that is going to be. So then... Who did you become? How did you clarify that for yourself? How did you get through it? Because that's the resilience piece, isn't it? So if you, you fell, you fell hard. Mm-hmm. But what was it like for you at the time? And what, what were the stages that you had to go through before picking yourself back up again? I mean, I think hopefully because, I mean, people might say differently. 
I think there was a humility to me. I, I don't think, um, I certainly from an external, mm. I don't think, I, and I was purposeful never to wrap my existence around, oh, I'm going to be this, this amazing rugby player um, and have a career and, and what it was. I was still very conscious about any time I spoke to friends, unless they brought up my rugby, I didn't speak about it. Mm. Like even at a young age, I just didn't, I didn't bring that up, but I suppose internally. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what about inside? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was, it was really tough. Like, really, really tough. It was, it was a bit about, like, what, what next? Like, um, what am I making decisions on now? Like, you know, that, that point about, do I have a drink or not have a drink? Well, I had a, I had a, a barometer that allowed me to make a decision on that. Whereas I was just like, do I, have a drink do I not have a drink I don't know I think mm. there was it was it was very difficult I think having that dream go um doubt again it was like I think what what came in quickly was the doubt about you know oh would I have made it would I not have made it mm. and then I had I had teammates rivals that then were had some, had some massive success and seeing these almost, you've seen your dreams unfold with people that you were right beside. Uh, and I suppose, again, being honest, you went through some real jealous, jealous moments with that. But ultimately, very quickly, that turned around. And, oh, I'm so glad it did because it almost reaffirms, you go, I was with them. I was with their, them on that journey. That yeah, it wasn't a complete fabrication of a dream. This that could have been me. I'm not saying it would have been, but yeah. if they did it, that shows yeah. that maybe I, maybe I could have. So that began to set a bit easier. But certain certainly in that first year, some real jealousy was was probably the word. Um, yeah, and that's understandable, and then, right? Because with grief, I mean, you went through some kind of a trauma. There's grief. There's five stages to grief. You can go through those five stages different times. And one of them is that comparison, that jealousy, that anger, that feeling sorry for yourself, the victim. Uh, and it's not mm -hmm. a negative thing, but it is a little bit of uh, woe be me. And this was mm -hmm. out of my control. And my question then is, how did you reinvent yourself? And how long were you in that state for? Because the resilience part is the most yeah. important thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, as I said, it wasn't like a, I got an injury. And then that was that. It didn't end. It wasn't a cliff edge. It was mm. a cliff edge in terms of my where I was going with my vision. But the injury wasn't a cliff edge. It was building for a long, long time. And I was struggling with it. And I use the word struggle. It was struggling for a long, long time. So within that, West, there was a good few years where I was a professional player and didn't step foot on a pitch. I was just rehabbing on a physio bed. And then within that, I actively was going, right, uh, how can I help the team? So I would do some like analysis. And at that stage, analysis wasn't where it is now. So it was, you were basically like a coach's assistant at a young mm. age, looking into stuff. And um, so I'd started that ball rolling, not with, not with a career in mind or a next step in mind, but because that'll help my vision. If I do some analysis, my rugby IQ gets better rather than sitting in a gym. I can, I can actually learn rugby. That's, that was my thought process. It was about, again, helping me move towards my vision. Mm. What it did out the back was it finished and I had about six months 
working at my local rugby club, which was really nice. Again, I felt nice to give back. There was a bit like, you know, I could be at a World Cup just now, but I'm driving up the valley and coaching kids that don't really want to be coached and <laughs> stuff. So there was a bit of that, but that humility was good because that's that's where I was from. So mm. that, I recognised that. And then very quickly there was a, an opportunity came up to do performance analysis um, for Scotland. And at that stage, it, it was a different beast. It was like there wasn't a un- university degree in this or anything. They just seen a young rugby player that knows rugby who's smart enough to pick this up so I, I got the job um, and uh, <laughs> the first day, first day on the job was actually a game Scotland versus New Zealand and I went and shadowed the the current analyst and he went oh can you go switch on that laptop and open the laptop and I couldn't switch it on such was my IT skills and he just was like oh my <laughs> God. So I was like, I know rugby, but I don't know, I don't know IT. So there's there was a bit about reinventing myself in that area. But again, similar. It was just like, well, this is what I'm in. I need to I need to learn faster. I'm I'm not gonna make it here. So um got tucked into that and had six, six, seven years doing that and um learned a lot and almost teed me up perfectly for the, the next stage stage of my career. Well, that's incredible that you should say that because that reinventing, whether you did it consciously or unconsciously is almost irrelevant, but what you did was you looked at adversity straight in the face and you went, okay, well, here it is. The plan has changed because it was out of your control. So you can't, the plan can change, but it's, you picked your, you basically, what I'm hearing here is you picked yourself up, you sort of dusted yourself off slowly, slowly and reinvented yourself and realised that you had to actually have learned some new things along the way to pivot you to the next role absolutely i think i think what became clear in that six months i was back at my local club was i wanted to be back in the environment now i couldn't i couldn't achieve my goal through being on the pitch and that was the mm. ultimate that 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 is still would have been the ultimate um but what i could do was still be in that environment and still help yeah. scotland achieve success or be involved in sevens, which is the thing I love. And so actually there was a drive, the drive and the vision slightly changed. It was, it's not going to be on the pitch. It's going to be off the pitch, but I'm still going to be involved in that. How do I do that? Performance yeah. analysis wasn't necessarily, I wouldn't say I had a drive in performance analysis, but what I did have is a drive to be in that environment and then know probably I want to move into coaching, but I was 20 two at the time and coaching um, seasoned internationalists who are 30 plus, the reality of that was, was small. So I seen the analysis for what it was, which was an ability to be at the highest level. So I was working with the best, some of the best rugby players in the world. I was working with the best coaches in the world. I was you know, an analyst and a coach work in tandem. They live in each other's pockets. So I was learning for six years. I had a job to do at the time, but I was learning for six years and came out of that going uh, very confident by the end going, yeah, I can, I can coach, I can do this, I can yeah. do this very well. Um, yeah. Yeah, and if I, if I was to interpret that, I would love to write a, 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 a 
like a whole paper on you and then interpret it and how you can use this in the um, corporate world and in, in terms of people's lives and the leadership. Because what you did is basically said, what's in my control, what's not in my control. And then you surrounded yourself with people, like-minded people who you wanted to be around to help you to, to the next step, even though it wasn't what you quite thought it was going to be when you first started. And so you really did pivot. And a lot of times, if you, if I can liken this to some people, you know, you go for promotions, you get you get rejected, you don't get the promotion, someone else gets it, or your career gets halted, or you lose a job because there's, a, there's a, an amalgamation between two organisations, mm-hmm. uh, or the dream that you thought that you're going to have is no longer there because, you know, you've another a new boss came in and you didn't have that same relationship. And anything can happen along this, your career. It's a question of, okay, when you fall, how quickly can you dust yourself off and then have a look at what's in your control, what's not in your control, surround yourself by the right people, learn from everyone who's around you to take it to the next level, and that is called resilience. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Um, uh, yeah, de- def- definitely. I think um, my wife my wife often uses the word grit for me, and I've actually challenged that going, um, like, I, I really appreciate that. I think, you know, I'm quite... Um, yeah get a bit with that I, I love it but the resilience bit is up is almost like i think there's it's more than great i think there's a positive like how do you find the positive in this and then how do i move forward not just bloody mindedness going forward i think there's a positive intent on what what you try and do um and, and you're a bit about yeah surrounding yourself with people i think certainly what i felt is that my cv now actually because it's slightly different stands out and actually what you get is like i mean we spoke offline about a ladder you claim a corporate ladder well actually i, I guarantee and I, and I may be way off the mark here in business if a job comes up you'll get these cvs that look fairly similar there might be something in there that's pretty amazing but if you get something that's different that really stands out like i six years that analysis for Scotland team and he's a coach I, it, it perks your interest and I might not be the fit but it perks an interest in terms of a conversation so come at it from a completely different angle and and actually add that string where it's where it is slightly different and it gets that conversation starting it doesn't mean you're any better coach than the guy next to me but what it has allowed me to do is go yeah that you get a conversation and then they ask and then you go oh, wow, that, that, you have learned something different. Um, and it was, it was a great six years. I felt like I was the sor- sorcerer's apprentice with the coaches. Um, and then it came very quickly to a point where it's like, right, I'm, I'm done being the apprentice. I'm now going to be the sorcerer. So um, uh, moving into coaching was, was the right time as well. That is absolutely brilliant. What a, what a great story there. And at the end of the day, adversity, if I can just sort of summarise what you went through, adversity will define you it's a question of how do you want it to define you does it define you in terms of you let it beat you or are you going to beat it and make something of it for like and it could become even bigger and better than what you've ever dreamed so it takes you to that next level and i think that's what you've done in this instance yeah no i I suppose reflecting and this is what's great about these conversations is reflecting back at that yeah, I am pr- I'm proud of how things have turned out. Um, I'm also, that six-month period where I 
know those jealous feelings and whatever i'm i'm proud that they didn't harbor but they were there so again having that and going that that wasn't a positive <laughs> that didn't that didn't do me any good so but it drives um, you in the right direction now. i think it's okay to be jealous I, I think this is one of the things that we talk to people we're just human nature is you're going to be jealous you're going to be you're going to uh, have a look at others and wonder what they've got but that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing if you allow it to drive you in the right way so if it fuels you to become better at what you do fantastic if it fuels you to the negative well then that's when you have to say as you said everything's about choices right life is a choice See, we've always got yep. choices about is this is this jealousy in this moment going to drive me to the positive or is it going to drive me to the negative? And what you did was you allowed it allowed it to actually let you grow, make you grow. It's incredible. It's beautiful to watch. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah, you're spot on, I suppose. Yeah, good. Yeah, it's really, really good. And then, okay, so let's talk about your coaching now. And and here you are today. You're the um, CEO of GB Sevens. First of all, let's explain to people who are outside of your area or who may not like like me who don't understand the the game. What does that mean for you, or even for if you're talking to someone, say in Scotland? Um, but the title's program lead, program mm-hmm. lead for for GB Sevens. Um, what what does it mean to me? Um, again, probably that point about. Um, it being one of these dreams that's so far away, and at times you're like, "That this this wasn't on the radar because it felt so far away as well." It, mm. And again, getting here at a young age for me, what I feel like very young, doing what I'm doing um, is in some respects surreal. Like you pinch yourself, but then actually, when you objectively go through it, as as we kind of do now, that journey, you're going like, "Yeah, like." like I am the right person for the job here. I am good at this. I, c- I can do this very well. So you objectify it, but there is, and I, I quite like still having that feeling of, wow, this is this is big. This is this is what I've always wanted to do because it keeps you going, right? It keeps you, it keeps your spark. It keeps you motivated. It keeps you moving with these habits. Yeah. Why do get why do get up at six? Because, um, where you should, if I don't get up before six, I'm I'm doing work. Sometimes last year I was getting up at three in the morning to do work to try and fit in more hours in the day. It's just what you did to try and make it happen. But it's it's an incredible position, Great Britain, Great Britain Sevens. It's um, it we've come together. It was Scotland, England, and Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, Great Britain competed at Olympics once every four years. But what we've decided to do is come together, amalgamate as three unions and come together and actually compete full-time and be a full-time program. So that only happened pretty much a year, a year to the day, really, uh, as we, we chat. And what a 12 months. And, and the bit about it in the story before that is that choice to amalgamate turned around very quickly. Like, there was a decision to go, actually, probably the sensible thing here is not to do this this year because we've not got the planning and prep time here. Mm. However, chatting it through, what what was decided was a board level was, we either jump in now, this was last year, we jump in, we get get started, knowing it's going to be tough, knowing we're going to fall short on a lot of things. But at this time, as in 15th of September 2023, we're in a better position for going through that last year 
than if we do a year's worth of planning and start now. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's so, brilliant. Well, you again, it goes boils down to decisions and taking risks, doesn't it? We're talking about leadership. Nothing. You have to make a committed decisions, and there's never a perfect time to start. Is what I'm hearing from you. But so, it's just get it, get going. That's what. Yeah, you basically, there was. It, it was, but the, the tough part within that is, it's sport, right? And people see results, and they go. Oh, that's not good enough. Great Britain should be should be better than Scotland, England, and Wales. Mm. <laughs> and you're not you can you can stand up and go, oh, but hold on, the reason for that's this. It's just not done. It's just yep, you're right. Mm. We can we can get better. Um, so it was a it was a really tough year for that. Um, and, well, let's talk about some of your you, let's talk about some of that actually in terms of the tough year. What were some of your sort of leadership challenges during that time? What did you face? I mean, we literally came, we, we competed at a World Cup this time last year, Scotland, mm-hmm. England and Wales. And about a week or two later, we've got to put together a staff, a squad, and then start, we're competing in October. Wow. So it was craziness, you know, with a, a minimal budget, no home, um, no kit, no nothing. It was just nothing there. And a couple of weeks later, we're in our room for the first time. I'm standing up at the front, about to speak about GB for the first time ever. And so, what do you what do you do? And again, this wasn't in my I hadn't planned all this. So this came about even for me. I, I wasn't in the decision of this. I was I'd got given the role, and then it was like, right, can you go sort this out? I was like, what? <laughs> um, so how how was it done? I think being really clear, going. Acknowledging, look, this is our vision. To be clear, you you have your you all have your own why, but this is Great Britain's sevens vision. Here's which is create and sustain the world's best sevens program. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to have to push the boundaries of performance. We can articulate what that means. They're all snappy taglines at the minute, but here's how we're going to do it. What that looks like, that's what we need to go find out. And being transparent, I don't know. I don't have the answers just now, but we need to go together and find out. What that what pushing the boundaries of performance looks like, being really clear of that, and then also being very clear with the constraints, like fronting that with everybody in the room. So all stakeholders and GB were there, all players, staff, going. We have our scope, our time, and our budget. All effects of quality. Simple business module. I'm a very simple person. Our scope's huge. We want to create, create and sustain the world's best sevens environment. We've got to remain at the top seat of world rugby as well because you could get relegated. So the task in front of us is huge. Our, the time we have is next to nothing. So that's, a, that's the biggest constraint. And our budget is a constraint, no doubt. But you always want more budget, right? But mm. it, it was a constraint. But mostly it was a constraint. And I, always, I said this. The biggest constraint was we didn't have time to use that budget wise, wisely. So we were very reactive. We were very late to the party and on some things, you know, um, which in a small budget just ate away. Whereas this year, we have less of a budget, more time, and we're all in a far better place. We're all far more effective, far, one, through the experience we've had, but purely because we can use that budget far more wisely. Um, so it was a real tough tough year last year with a lot of that um 
and me in a, a new position. That's a, that was a new position for me. Um, so it was it was tough. It had its challenges for, as well for the expectations of the people in the room. Of course, yes. For players and staff, even though we spoke about it, we'd acknowledge that you're still going through it, getting frustrated. Um, so managing that, managing the external stuff and results on the pitch, it was, yeah, yeah, a great learning year is what I've put it. But um, I love that. Great. You didn't see it as a negative. You saw it as a learning year and, and then every other year from there on in, you know that you're going to actually get a lot out of it. But it, it sounds to me again that because the first thing you did and it's like it's a classic 101 of any organisation, any leadership, it's what are we after and what is a clear vision. So you made it very, very clear as to what you were after. Then you had a look at if I, and I know you say it's very simplistic, but life should be simplistic. We overcomplicate things. Then you had a look at this is what's going, like basically a gap analysis that you did. These are the things that are going to go against us. However, this is what we can do in this short period of time. And you went after it, even though you had to sort of also navigate your way through the unknown. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We we ended up deeming it year zero, as in, again, trying to put a positive spin on it. I was going, we've got a free shot at this. Because if we mm. didn't do this, we're starting, we're starting over there. So, And it's not to take the pressure off. There's huge pressure. There's absolutely huge pressure on this. But this is a gift for us, so we need to learn what we can out of this. But, yeah. So how, was, how did you keep everyone motivated? How did you foster that growth? I mean, at, at times I, I didn't. Um, there, was some, there was some pretty tough times for staff and players. Um, they, I mean, we were having contract negotiations with players the night before they were about to try and qualify for an Olympics. Oh, wow. So it's just madness. Like, and, and it's tough because you're sitting in a room with them going, I don't want to be doing this. I know this isn't right. This is not. But through the constraint of the three unions and how we actually got a contract on the table and budget, and it just, again, looking back is going, could I have done anything different there? I can honestly say no. It, it just, I couldn't, I, I could have given any more. I couldn't have. I was getting up at three in the morning. I was going to bed at midnight. And that was quite a norm just to, I was living on three hours sleep again, which probably didn't help, but no. there was that. There's no, didn't see my family, just didn't see my friends. It was just keep, get this shit to steady wars. Um, but then there was still fallout because the, the task was so huge and the constraint was so big, there was still fallout and, you know, staff struggling, feeling, you know, one of them said she, she actually said she felt under-supported, which, which really hurt, um, and not necessarily at me. She, she wasn't saying about me. She said she recognised I was doing everything under the sun, but she just felt she didn't have support. So, we, again, you reflect on that, like, how could I have created? And, again, it's not, yes, time for that, but... <sighs> It was. Could I have? Could I have get, reached out and got her support in other ways? It didn't have to be me, you know. Could I? Could I have set up support links? That's probably my learning. Is like, could I have recognised the constraint I was going to be under? How much of a constraint? And early on, set up um, additional help, even if that wasn't paid help. It's just, you know, somebody to reach. Here's here's a mentor there because I'm not going to be there. I can see the road ahead. I ain't going to be there. You're back and call. 
What, what amazing, what incredible reflection, though, because at the end of the day, we can only, you know, uh, connect the dots looking backwards. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. And so, and all you can do is learn from from that, and that's exactly what you've just said. You've, you went through it. You were put under some pretty tough circumstances to deliver on something that was very big, and then all you can do now is look from it and say, well, how can I rectify it? Because you can't change the past but what would I do differently? And I think that's part of the leadership learning, isn't it? Because you can never perfect it. You can never, ever perfect leadership. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't be. I think coming on to, like when you're speaking about leadership, coming on to something like this, I, whilst I feel, yes, I've got a, a way of doing it. I I think I'm learning it. I, I definitely wouldn't put myself in the expert bracket. And wait, that maybe sounds a bit mad when the position I'm in, maybe other people will think differently but I hope I never do because I think it's going to continually allow me to evolve and learn and and actually reflect because if you're not an expert and you want to be an expert it forces you to to learn and get better yeah absolutely and I think that goes back to that humility that you talked about from a sports perspective all you've done is transferred it into your leadership role and I think the the minute we we think that we're the best at something is that's a very dangerous place to be because there's no learning from that yeah. and there's no growth from that. And if you're not growing, you're actually disintegrating and dying. And so while you're not, I don't, I don't believe you're being humble. I believe what you're doing is saying, I mean, compared to 10 years ago, yes, you're a great leader compared to 10 years ago, but mm-hmm. compared to where you can be in 10 years' time, obviously there's a huge scope for learning. Yeah, yeah, that's a, you've articulated that far better. Yep, exactly that. And I think that's absolutely – it's a beautiful place to be and it's beautiful to watch because what that provides even more mentorship for all those young people to go, well, this is who I aspire to be like. All of a sudden you've become now the mentor that as a child you used to look up to other people and that's what you're providing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think sports are got a real privileged position to allow – to do that. Like you have a – as you, you said it right at the start, people do look up to sports people, whether – predominantly the players on the pitch but anybody that comes into the organization because it's it's bloody cool like going to an olympics doing playing on a world series you you know you there is some really cool parts to the job um but there's a responsibility within that as well like right, there absolutely. is a huge responsibility absolutely so what advice so if you if you, ha- if you saw some kids today and they came to you for advice and they wanted to develop their sporting career or their coaching career what advice would you give them today um oh I think I think something like I genuinely it's been a passion. Mm. Like I, I genuinely love the game. Do I I think what's grown, like if you'd asked me right at the start of my career, like could you go in another sport and be as effective, I would have said no, because part of my drive is a passion for the game. I still have that passion for the game. I think that can now transfer into other sports because part of my passion, you've mentioned it, is actually working with people mm. and actually actually seeing things grow and develop. Like I am actively in, um, going to take and move into a coaching role, a far bigger coaching role this year because it's actually a bit, my boots are on the grass a bit more <laughs> and it's, it's closer to the thing I love and, and actually... That's that's a, my choice. I, I want to do that um, and, and lead in a different way. Lead, lead that that closer group be a bit more at the coalface rather than the governance side of it. 
um, just especially for an Olympic year. Um, what would I say to young people? Do what you enjoy, and that sounds a cliche, and I think you hear that all the time, but actually, if you don't enjoy it, and if you've not got, and I, it can be type two enjoyment, you can find it tough in the moment, but get something out of it, get satisfaction out of it, feel proud of what you're doing, let other people see see that other people are proud of you, because that'll drive you. You know, I felt my mum and dad were proud of what I was doing, my family were proud of what I was doing, so it drove me because I wanted to repay that, gra that gratitude. Um, and also, don't be afraid of not climbing the exact ladder. That, that's certainly something I've, again, I think you look at my career, it's not been a, there's there's the coaching ladder. Mm. There's the there's a program lead ladder. It's been a bit diverse, a bit different. Um, and actually, I think that's a strength. I think that's a strength for so, you. Absolutely. Yeah. And not to say that if you do climb that ladder, it's not a strength. That that's that's the wrong way about doing things at all. I'm not saying that, but don't be afraid of if you go down a different path. Is probably what I would say. That's a beautiful thing because that's a good that's a good reminder for all of us. Just because one door closes doesn't mean there's not another one that's going to be huge and even mm -hmm. better. And what and and what you said was really really important. It's okay if you do go down that road. That's good as well. But don't be scared of if it goes a different path and take advantage of that next path as well. Because life can it, life is messy. Let's face it, life can be messy, and you just have to take every single opportunity that comes your way. Absolutely, yeah, and. It is. I, I used to think I had these like life plans and actually that's still there. But I think the older you get, the, they become shorter. So it's like, what am I doing in five years? Let's worry about that. As long as, my, as, long as I'm stable and I've got enough for the kids and whatever. But what's my five-year plan? Because every time it's good having that I've got a longer term vision absolutely more about the person I want to be and what I want to do but in terms of the specificity of what that looks like what chair do I want to be sitting in in 20 years time I don't know but I know yeah. the person I want to be but five years time maybe I can that's something I want to I want to look at maybe that's a part yeah, and that's, that's, massive. that's massive. We we work with organisations and I work with people who we talk about five-year plans and there's a reason why it's five-year plan because, again, if you, you you can, but there's nothing wrong with planning for 30 years, but five years at a time, I think, is is plenty and that gives you enough time to be able to stretch yourself, to get yourself out of your comfort zone, to do new things, to figure out the, how, where the plan is, to get those, uh, you know, those moments of adversity come your way, to learn from them. And then you go, okay, well, what's the next step and what's the next step and what's the next step? That's just absolutely incredible to learn that. I think I'm going to end up writing an article about you, if you don't mind, and I'm going to send it to you. And you can <laughs> you can approve it or otherwise, but I'm going to say, like, what is the correlation between what you've done and the leadership traits that we we sort of take on and coach on to see what where where the synchronicity is because there's just so much of it. Oh, that's, that's good to hear because I think it's something for me personally I you know, we talk about my five-year plan. I think the next five years after this will be something, you know, I'm starting to get that feeling about, I love this, my sport. How can I transfer it? Is that the exciting thing? How can I transfer that into something else? Is it sport? Is it business? Is it whatever? Absolutely. Um, so that, that's that's beginning to, to grow inside me a little bit, but I'm quite, quite confident in what I'm doing at the minute, but definitely that's something I'm... Well, I can I can see you on the speaking circle. 
<laughs> I probably need to articulate my accent. And no, it's a beautiful bit. accent. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> but I think I would love to. We're, we're going to be watching you. We're going to be watching you closely, and the Olympics are coming up, and um, we'll we'll definitely be reporting back to our listeners as well. But when you do have time, I'd love to be able to invite you um, on again so that we can discuss other sort of topics because we you know in one hour and 15 minutes you can't discuss everything but it's been such a pleasure to have you we've learned so much today and it really is it just cements that having a clearly defined goal just to visualize what it is that you want make a committed decision towards it and then don't worry too much about the plan because the plan can change the how in other words the how is not really our business it's the what okay and making the the committed decision for it and then allow allow things to happen and you take advantage of anything and work through it as you go along yeah uh, thank you it's been as i said to you at the start it's it's great doing these because you, you're so busy you'll be the same you're so busy you, you don't actually reflect so i've really enjoyed it thank you no thank you it's been such a pleasure such an honor as well karen and we really appreciate it and with that, if, if anyone has any questions, please drop us a line and I'll certainly send it through to Karen and I'm sure he'll be more than willing to help in terms of answering those questions. Look, I just I just volunteered your time, Karen. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much again. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you very much. Okay, thank Cheers. you. Bye for now. Bye-bye.